Hey everybody, welcome to our midweek college Bible study, which we affectionately refer to as CBS, but I hope everybody's having a good week so far and uh, are, are pressing on in the, in the quarantine and, and doing our best to, to, to keep the fight going, to, to love our neighbors as ourselves and hopefully uh, slow the spread of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, hopefully the, the more we do that, the sooner we can actually get back together in person. I, I, I personally long for that day. Um, I mean, I enjoy carrying on the teaching and I'm very grateful for being able to carry on the teaching in this way. But I, I tell you, I would much rather look at your faces than at, uh, at a camera. So, um, But that being said, uh, we're here to study God's word together and I'm grateful to do it. I hope you've had a chance to look at our liturgy that we've sent sent you and and opened in prayer and confession of sin and and and, and having assurance of pardon. Maybe maybe played some songs and sung together uh, in worship. Now we come to the to the teaching of His Word. And so, uh, if you have a Bible with you, I always encourage you to have your Bible open as we study the Scriptures. Take it and find Matthew chapter six. Matthew chapter six tonight. For our Bible study, we're going to spend a few minutes again in our study through the Lord's Prayer. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this study so far. I know I have. I really enjoy moving slowly through it. I have I have taught through the Gospel of Matthew before, um, but but when I did it before, I took the Lord's Prayer all in one chunk, and I've never taught through it just slowly, 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 petition by petition, like we've done this time, phrase by phrase. But I have. I have immensely enjoyed it, and I hope you have too, and have learned from it and benefited from it doing it this way. This is so important that we do it this way, really. If we're, if we're to be obedient to the Lord Jesus when he commanded us, uh, here in Matthew's gospel, he said, pray prayers like this. He said, pray then like this. If we're going to pray prayers like this after this uh, example, if we're going to do that with integrity, or if, if, as Luke puts it in his gospel in Luke chapter 11, uh, when Jesus says, pray, when you pray, say this, we're going to pray this prayer, this actual prayer in our prayer life with any kind of integrity. We need to know uh, what it means. We need, we need to know as best we can what Jesus uh, is teaching us to pray here so that when, when we go to pray it ourselves or pray a prayer like this, we are aiming at the same thing that Jesus was aiming at and we're fulfilling what Jesus was commanding us to pray for. And that's been our aim in this study. And with that, we're going um, to get to our study tonight. And we're, we're with, with, with our passage for tonight, or with our petition tonight, we're, um, we're crossing the midfield line in, in this prayer. We're now going to be looking at the fifth of the seven petitions in the prayer, which, and, and, and plus the doxology at the end, which we'll cover at the end of our study. But we'll get straight to it tonight. So if you have a Bible open to Matthew chapter 6, I hope you'll follow along as I read our passage aloud. We'll begin in verse 9 and read through verse 13. We'll also include the doxology, which is footnoted uh, more than likely in your Bible. So beginning in verse 9, Jesus said, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then footnoted, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray and ask God's blessing on the study of his word. Father in heaven, we do recognize that, um, that especially as the Lord Jesus uh, uh, delivered these words to us, this is your holy and inspired and inerrant, uh, clear, authoritative, necessary word. Uh, we don't think they're especially inspired because Jesus uh, gave them, because we know every word in Scripture is breathed out by the Holy Spirit of God. So it's all equally inspired and inerrant. But, but, but we do recognize this passage as, as no exception to that. Uh, it, it, is, it is all of those things. And so we ask uh, your grace and your help to study this, this passage as best we can tonight. Give us uh, illumination by your Holy Spirit to, to understand this inspired word. Give us minds to understand it. Give us hearts to embrace and love it. Give us wills to obey it. Whatever it calls us to do. Please give us all ears to hear and give me the help that I need to teach. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so like I said, um, we're gonna, tonight we're going to think for a minute about the, that fifth of the seven petitions that we find in this prayer found in verse 12 where Jesus says, And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is a very important petition in this prayer. It is one, I'll, I'll go ahead and say, that I think is easily prone to being misunderstood or misapplied, perhaps. So I want to think through it carefully and 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 do so. And to do so, here's how I want us to, to break it down. First, I want to break it down in three ways. And um, first of all, I want us to think about the demand for this petition. What is the reason for this petition? According to this petition, what is the reason for it? What is the object at the center of it? Okay, the demand for this petition. Then secondly, we'll think about the desire of the petition or the aim of the position, right? The desire of the petition. What is it asking for? Um, and, and this is the one we need to think carefully through together because this is the this is where sometimes the, the the wheels can go off the tracks and 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 it can be confusing or mis, misunderstood by some so what is this asking for what's the desire of this petition and then finally we'll think about that second phrase and the direction of uh, this petition how that second clause of the petition as we also have forgiven our debtors fits into our understanding of this verse and so that's that's where we're headed uh, so let's dive in and think first about the demand for the petition. Uh, what, what, what is meant by that? And maybe one, of the, maybe one of the ways to introduce what I mean by that is through noticing just, it, it, not, not what you're looking here, but just think back in your own life. Whenever you have said this prayer, whenever you've recited this prayer, or you've heard others recite this prayer, um, think about how many different ways you've heard it said, right? Uh, you know, sometimes uh, it, it's it's prayed, forgive us our debts, as it says here. And then sometimes it, people say, forgive us our trespasses, right? You've heard that, I'm sure. Sometimes people say, forgive us our sins. Which is it? Which is right? Forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins. Which one is right? Well, uh, depend, and depending on whom you're praying with, you, you might hear either one of those. But which is right? Well, in a sense... 
They all are. But the word uh, debts, right? Forgive us our debts. The word debts, I think, is correct here in, in, in the prayer itself, in Matthew. Um, the, the, the Greek word is ophilema, ophilema, which, which means uh, something owed as a debt. Forgive us, quite literally, our, the, what we owe to you. Forgive us for not paying and giving to you what we owe to you. Um, and, and all the major translations uh, of Matthew 6, 12, I'm, this is the ESV, but ESV, the NIV, the New American Standard, the CSB, even going all the way back to the King James Version, right? Says debts. That's what the word means. So whenever you read, forgive us our debts, that is literally translating what Matthew said here in, in the Greek. But if that's true, if it's so clearly, even going all the way back to the King James Version, means debts, why do sometimes we hear people say, forgive us our trespasses? Well, first of all, look down in verses 14 and 15, if you've got your Bible open to Matthew chapter 6. And there, immediately after the prayer, Jesus says, for if you give, uh, forgive others their trespasses, their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So three times Jesus says the word, or it's translated uh, trespasses, and, and, and indeed Jesus used an entirely different word here than he did earlier in the prayer. But clearly they're referring to the same reality. I mean, this is, it begins, verse 14 begins with the word for. So clearly the explanation or the elaboration in verse uh, given immediately after the prayer in verses 14 and 15 are to elaborate on the meaning of the of the prayer itself. So in the prayer, forgive us our debts, elaborated or said another way, forgiving trespasses. Two ways are referring to the same reality. But then if you flipped over to Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 11 uh, and his abbreviated account of this, of this prayer, uh, you find him in verse 4, uh, wording it this way, and forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins, but then look at the rest of it. For we ourselves forgive, every, forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So it goes back to that language of a debt and and um, and the same word that, that uh, Matthew used. But he begins by saying, forgive us our sins. So, uh, and, and, and again, it's equated with that same reality. It's the third way of talking about the same reality. So it's clear from the text themselves, both Matthew and Luke, why sometimes you hear people say, forgive us our debts, and others say, forgive us our trespasses. Some say, forgive us our sins. And in a broad sense, they're all correct. They're all three ways used by Jesus himself to refer to the same reality that we face before God. Debts and trespasses are two different ways of describing our sins. Uh, our sins in relation to the God before whom we live and move and have our being. Right? Sometimes our sin against God is refer referred to here as debts we owe to him, or we, we are now in debt to him because of our sin. In what way? Or we have trespassed when we sinned. So to sin, let's think about those two ways. To sin against God is to be in debt to him. Jesus taught this in different ways. Jesus uh, taught his disciples, in, for example, in Luke 17.10. Uh, just if you're taking notes, you can jot these references down. But in Luke 17.10, Jesus uh, taught his disciples what 
what we're to say when we actually do walk in obedience to him. So are we to expect a pat on the back or extra credit with God if we actually do walk in obedience and, and don't give ourselves over to, to sin and trespassing and debt? Like what are we what does Jesus say we're to say when when we feel like we've had a good day and have walked in obedience? Jesus said in Luke 17, 10, so you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, like let's say you didn't stumble once, when you have done all that you have commanded, here's what you're to say, quote, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Even when we obey perfectly, right? We've only done what we owed to him, right? We, we owed to him perfect obedience. And when, if ever, we render that to him, which is never, even if we did, we've only done what was our duty. So if it is our duty before God to walk in obedience uh, to him, uh, then to, by implication, the other side of that coin is to, to walk in disobedience to him is to incur debt before him. We have not rendered to him what we owed to him. And it's a debt that, that we cannot repay apart from Christ. And it's interesting, it's not just here in the Gospels, it's interesting how uh, when, when the New Testament later talks about what Christ accomplished in his death, uh, it talks about the fact that Jesus paid the debt that we owe before God. Let me just give you one example. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Colossians 2, 13 and 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Christ, having forgiven us. And notice here, Paul obviously was, was familiar with the teachings of Jesus. And no, notice how he uses all, he's using all this imagery. He's, you were, we were dead in our what? In our trespasses. And having forgiven us all our trespasses uh, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So Paul understands our sin before God both as trespasses that need to be forgiven and debt that needs to be forgiven. And he, and he says that Jesus on the cross did both of those things, but in terms of debt, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us. So when Jesus teaches us to pray here uh, and ask God for the forgiveness of our debts to him, it's a reminder, again, using that language and that imagery of debt, it's a reminder, again, uh, again of how, fall, how, how short we fall in glorifying Christ in our lives, not only as he deserves, but as we owe to him. Every time we pray this prayer, it's a reminder of how, how short we fall of that standard, even as believers, even with the Holy Spirit of God within us. And so you see in other traditions, uh, those, those uh, other traditions beyond our, our own Baptist tradition, um, that, that have more formal liturgy and have written prayers, you know, you, you find uh, traditional prayers that, that the church throughout the ages have prayed that uh, that pray things like this prayer. This is part of a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer we, that we pray and we confess to the Lord. We have left, that we confess to him uh, and ask his forgiveness for things we have left undone. We've left undone those things which we ought to have done. 
and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. And the operative word in both of those being ought, right? We have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And we've done those things which we ought not to have done. Before, before coming to faith in Christ, that is an ought that, it, that, that we could not repay by our own actions. Once we have incurred that debt, then, and think about it, just think about it, it makes sense. Once we have incurred that debt, and there's no amount of obedience that we can do that would incur extra credit, because every, even perfect obedience is only doing what we owe to him, our, we've only done our duty, then we can never earn extra credit enough to, to make up for the debt that we've already incurred. So um, it, it's only because of the saving work of Christ, his his perfect life, never failing at any point, credited to us. The debt is paid. But even, even when, uh, legally speaking, that debt is paid, daily, practically speaking, in our lives, that even after we come to faith in Christ, that ought never goes away. It never goes away. Think about what Paul says, for example, in Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, when he said, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement, hear me carefully, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Now you might think, okay, that the right, righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, okay, because Jesus kept the law and that's applied to me. That's what he's talking about. No, listen carefully what he's talking about when he says that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Here's what he means. Who walk, not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So now that we have come to faith in Christ, the, the, the righteous requirement is still there that because God's holiness hasn't changed and our creaturely status before him hasn't changed. So the requirement is still there that we, as his obedient creatures, walk in obedience to him, who walk according to the Spirit, right, and not the flesh. God has done for us what we couldn't do, but in order that we could, and, he, and, and in order that we could give God the, the glory now that I'm forgiven of my sins, I still want to glorify God in my life, and in order to give him the glory that he's due, um, I still need to walk in that obedience, and I can now, the scripture says, because of the work of the Spirit in me, not because of my flesh. In my flesh alone, I cannot do it. But through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit within me, I can walk in obedience. And even in that vein, another traditional prayer prays to the Lord saying, and we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies, Lord, that with truly thankful hearts, we may show forth your praise. We want to show forth your praise, listen to it, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. That, in that prayer, is a recognition that even forgiven in Christ, give us such an awareness of your mercies, even forgiven in Christ, the holiness of God as our Creator and Lord, and what we owe to Him as His redeemed creatures has remained unchanged. So daily... We wake up and we remind ourselves of the gospel in this prayer, this Lord's Prayer, uh, uh, left to us by Christ. We remember that we still, every single day we wake up, we still owe to the Lord, our Maker, 
yes, our Redeemer, but as our Maker and Lord. We owe to Him uh, perfect, personal, perpetual obedience that we have fallen short again and again of giving to Him. We've fallen short both intentionally and unintentionally by commission and by omission. And, and in so doing, we pra practically speaking, we are indebted to Him because we're not giving to Him what we owe to Him. That's forgive us our debts. That's, that's the language of the prayer. But thinking about those other scriptural examples we came across at the end of the prayer or right after the prayer and in Luke's, uh, Luke's gospel, not only does Jesus teach us to view our, our, our sins as, as merely debts, as, in, in a sense, shortcomings, that's not the only way to view our, 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 our uh, sins as falling short of an obligation. It is that, but it's not merely that. He also teaches us to look at our, our own uh, sins as trespasses. They're not just debts. They're trespasses. Which, what, what is trespass? It's, it's crossing a line. It's crossing a boundary which we were not supposed to cross. In other words, our sin is not just coming up short, right? It is walking in a rebellious way. It, it, it is disregarding the path that, that the Lord has graciously laid out for us to walk. It's disregarding that to go our own way and to, and to trespass into places we shouldn't go. In other words, our problem before the Lord isn't that we're just finite. It is that we are rebellious, right? We're not just finite and, oh my goodness, I fall up short. No, it's not because we're finite. It's because we're rebellious people before him. And it, go, and it goes against, even as believers, it goes against the natural inclinations of our hearts. It goes against the natural inclinations of our flesh to agree with God's word. It goes against my natural inclinations to live in obedience to his word. That, that's quite against my natural expectations because my natural ex expectations are sinful. Even after coming to faith in Christ and even after enjoying the indwelling presence of God the Holy Spirit in my life, Galatians 5 still tells me that there's a war going on in my heart and in yours too as a believer. That, that sometime, and sometimes we obey the desires of the Spirit, but sometimes we obey the desires of our flesh and go the other way. And all of this, all of this evidence put together shows us that in this prayer, this, this is the demand for this petition, right? That Jesus teaches us to pray here. Forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our sins against you, Lord. In praying this petition regularly, Verse 12, in, in praying this petition here, this fifth petition, regularly as Jesus commanded us to do, it is a constant reminder to us that I'm wayward. I don't want to be. I'm, I'm, it's teaching me to learn that it's not right. I'm calling it what it is, a debt to God, a trespass, a sin. I'm calling it for what it is, and I know that it's wayward, and I don't deserve a single kindness from the, from the Lord. Our, our sins, our debts to Him that are trespasses, they demand that we come to Him in this way. But also look with me at, at the desire, the aim of this petition. Uh, not just the, the, the truth about us that demands that we come to Him humbly in this way, but, but what, are we, what are we humbly asking Him to do? What is our desire in this petition? Um, I think while the, the, the focal point of this, of this fifth petition 
is on our debt and our trespasses and, and transgressions and sins. And think of all the different words that the scripture heaps up for, to describe the same reality of sin. That's the focal point, our, our waywardness, right? But the, the, the desire of it, the desire of this petition, the aim of it is equally obvious, which is that he might, in his grace, forgive us of those things, to forgive us of those things. What I want to do here in this, in this, um, in this portion of, of our study tonight, I want us to simply try to understand why it is that we continue to ask the Lord's forgiveness for our sins when we're already promised in the gospel that we've already been forgiven of our sins, right? Not only in the past, but also of our sins in the past, but our sins in the present and future. I want us to focus on that. Why do, if we're already forgiven, why do we keep asking for his forgiveness? Legitimate question. I want us to focus on that because it isn't difficult at all uh, to understand that if a person has never trusted in Christ, if you're, if you're watching and you have never trusted in Christ, you've never repented of your sins and put your faith and your hope and your trust in, in what Jesus has done to be your Savior, if you've never, that the person that's never done that, that person stands guilty and condemned by God already. That's what Jesus says in John chapter 3. person who hasn't believed are condemned already. It's not like they're going to be condemned one day when they die. They're condemned already in this life, Jesus says. And according to Paul, in that passage we already looked at in Colossians chapter 2, uh, we already, apart from faith in Christ, we already have an insurmountable record of debt uh, before God standing against us. For that person who's never trusted in Christ, it makes all the sense in the world to pray this prayer and to pray, forgive us our sins, right? Uh, forgive this debt that I have before you. Forgive my wayward rebellion against you. Forgive us our debts. It, it, that's asking for something that you don't already have if you've never trusted in Christ. But if you have already repented of your sins and you have already put your faith and trust in Christ, God's unchangeable promise to you is that your sin, all of your sin is forgiven in his sight. And his wrath against your sin, his wrath against you in your sin, has already been propitiated fully by Christ on the cross. Your sin now and forever, not just past, but now and forever. Why can we be sure of that? Because remember the gospel. By re the Bible says that, that, that by repentance of our sins and faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible uses this language. You are united to Christ. You're united to him. And, 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 and by your union with Jesus Christ, his, his, his life, his life and his death and his resurrection are counted in your place. They are, they are counted for yours, right? So his is an entirely sinless life lived in your place so that when you fall and you fail, his life still counts for yours and you are still forgiven and as righteous in the sight of God as Jesus himself is righteous because it's his righteousness not yours or not your lack of it in practical living. That's the promise of the gospel. That being the case, why does then Jesus instruct us to pray again and again for the forgiveness of, uh, of God for our sins? And, and, 
And I say again and again, and why do we pray this daily? Let me point out why I'm saying again and again and daily. Uh, let me point out textually why I'm saying that, to pray daily for the forgiveness of our sins. Notice in this prayer that this is the first, there are two, the next one is also this case, but this is the first one in verse 12. This is the first petition that begins with the word and, <laughs> right? Um, immediately linking it textually to the, to the petition right before it, to see them together, right? Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins with hardly a break in thought with that conjunction linking the two. The, so with them connected like that, it's, it's legitimate to say some of the parameters of the first petition now carry over to the second one. They're just connected by uh, a coordinating conjunction and. And so just as we, how do you put, what parameters carry over? I would submit, submit this, that just as we need the provision of food on a daily basis from the hand of the Lord, so also we need the daily forgiveness of our sins before him also. But why? Aren't we already forgiven? Why do we need this, this forgiveness uh, in some kind of way again and again and again? Why? Well, I don't believe that Jesus, in, in, in instructing us to pray uh, this petition, is intending to cause us to doubt the promises of the gospel. But he is leading us, I think, to do two things. And we'll try to uh, elaborate on these two things. He's trying in this to get us to understand two things. One, he's leading us to understand a little, in a, in a more nuanced way, the forgiveness of our sins. And secondly, he's wanting to teach us something about the evident characteristics of a converted heart. Uh, so for one thing, we need to have about the forgiveness of our sins, we need to have a distinction in our minds between the reality of sin already forgiven through faith in Christ, promised in the gospel, that's one thing. The reality of sin already forgiven through faith in Christ, promised in the gospel, a distinction between that and our ever-continuing, ever-present enjoyment and awareness of and assurance of that forgiveness through ongoing repentance and faith in Christ, also promised in the gospel. Think, for example, uh, about what the, John the Apostle says in 1 John chapter 1. Uh, we remember these verses regularly in our, our liturgy that we use uh, on Wednesday nights. But John says in 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. Think about that carefully. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light. If we do that, if we do that, think of that conditional statement. If we do those things, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, can, cleanses us from all uh, uh, our sin. So there, just like Matthew, there seems to be a condition attached to the forgiveness. The forgiveness that we've already been promised in the gospel that we possess in full. So how do we understand that? How do we understand 1 John 1, 7? If we do that, implying if we don't, if we don't do that, then there's no forgiveness. Wow, what happens the first time we mess up? And how many times do I need to mess up before I lose it? I mean, it sends people into those kinds of thoughts. I think a key to understanding uh, this in 1 John comes just two verses later in 1 John 1, 9, where we read this. If we confess our sins, another con 
conditional. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there, again, there's a condition given there if we confess our sins. But notice how John continues. He is faithful and just, faithful and just to forgive us. That implies that and, and he's just to forgive us. That implies that, that when we confess our sins, it would be unjust of God uh, not to forgive us. Unjust of God not to forgive us. Why? Why would it not why would it be unjust of him to withhold forgiveness? Because Christ has already borne all our guilt on the cross. He wouldn't be unjust of him because you confessed it. It would be unjust of him because Christ has already borne your guilt on, on the cross. That is a reality already settled before we come confessing again, before you ever bowed your knee to confess those sins. The, that guilt was already uh, born. It was already settled on the cross. Uh, before we come confessing again another day's sins, it, we, we were already ensured of God's own justice that forgiveness is already there. When we confess, we don't even have to doubt when that when we confess, forgiveness is already there. Not because you confessed, because you've already repented and believed. Right? You have it, but what happens when that when you confess again? What is what is it that you you gain by that ongoing confession? What it gives you then, because the forgiveness was already there, it would be unjust for it not to be there. What it gives you when you confess again is the ongoing assurance the ongoing awareness, the ongoing enjoyment of that forgiveness already achieved in Christ. An ongoing ongoing confession, ongoing petitioning for God's forgiveness reminds us again and again that we are as ever, we are ever as in need of Christ uh, as our mediator before God. Any day, any day for the rest of our lives as we were the first day. And further, this ongoing confession and petition uh, of God's forgiveness is also simply evidence that your heart is truly converted, right? That, that's the characteristic of someone who is truly born again by the Spirit and knows the sanctifying uh, presence of the Spirit. If, if you recognize the sinfulness of your sin on the first day you came to faith in Christ, then that is the way of Christ, and it will be, you will, you will increasingly uh, understand the sinfulness of your sins every day that you walk with Him. So, um, uh, every, the more we do that, the more we see the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. So we pray daily, forgive us our debts, um, ever mindful that, that, that we are sinful before the Lord, but never doubting that we have the forgiveness of Christ uh, and, and we're confessing our sins to Him. We do that. It's just another opportunity for us to hear Him say it again. Um, he's faithful and just to forgive. But there's one more thing I want to I want to uh, lay out here before uh, we wrap this up, and that is the direction of this petition uh, found in the in the second phrase of the petition itself, where he says, "Just look there with me," where he says, "And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors." How do you understand this? As forgive us, as as we also forgive, right? Um, we've already said something about 
the conditional nature of this petition and how to understand that conditional nature. Uh, and this is seemingly another layer of that. Uh, it seems to imply that our forgiveness by God is dependent on our forgiveness of others, that he will forgive us to the extent that we forgive other people. That seems kind of heavy, right? I mean, look down and, and again, look down at verses 14 and 15 again. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither, neither will your, your Father forgive your trespasses. That seems very straightforwardly what Jesus is saying. If you forgive, you'll be forgiven. If you don't, you won't. Like that's, that's, that's what it seems so straightforwardly to be saying. But is that the whole of it? Is that all of it? Because if that's all of it, if that's all that we're to take away from that, that simple transactional nature of things, then we again have a contradiction of the gospel, which promises if we simply repent and believe, then we are granted forgiveness in Christ. The truth is our forgiveness of other people is yet another characteristic um, that is evidence, just like our ongoing confession of sin is, of a confer converted heart that is truly born again. I like the way, I mean, cause what I'm saying is someone uh, who is truly born again will, they, yeah, they will be, re they will recognize times where they fell short of that and held on to bitterness rather than forgive, but the overall tenor of their life is, is, is a desire to be, to show mercy to other people and and forgive other people, not to hold grudges against people. That's evidence of a redeemed heart. I like the way Wesley Hill puts it in his book on the Lord's Prayer when he said, we are made capable of forgiving others through God's having forgiven us. The order is crucial. Notice the order of this, this uh, petition. We first say, God, forgive us our debts. And then we look, based on our own forgiveness, to look toward the forgiveness of, of other people and forgiving our debtors. And he, Wesley Hill cites Ephesians 4.32 that says, where Paul said, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. The, the order there is crucial. We are forgiven, and the overflow of that in our hearts is forgiving other people. Will we, will we do that perfectly, Right? We ought to overflow in, in, in forgiveness toward other people, in constant mercy to other people, knowing that we have received mercy from God himself and have received the forgiveness of God for our constant sin and constant rebellion against him. We've received that from the hand of Almighty God. Ought that not to overflow in us in, in, in ceaseless mercy toward other people? How could anybody sin against me as much or as, as, as egregiously as I've sinned against the Lord. That, that thought ought to pervade us all the time, and it ought to overflow in mercy toward other people. But we, we know how sinful we are. Will we do that perfectly? No. But when we fail, and, and, and when we know we failed and we confess uh, that to God, that unforgiveness in our hearts, He is still faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I just want to end by, by saying of this petition, this petition is a beautiful circle, right? We know, we know our sin. We know the debt we owe to God daily. Even after we've been forgiven and we know we're safe in Christ, we still see the deplorable sinfulness of our own lives. We know that, that we don't ascribe to God perfectly the glory that is due His name. 
You're right. We sin with our words. We sin with our thoughts. We sin with our actions. We sin by inaction, by not doing or saying or thinking things we ought to do, think, or say. We're so sinful, and we, we, we know our sin, so we ask for His forgiveness, which is granted in Christ, right? Which, when granted, when we know our sin very deeply, and we then experience the forgiveness of Christ, that moves us to be merciful to others when they sin against us. But when we fall short of that forgiveness in our own lives, we come back to Him in, in, in repentance and asking for His forgiveness, which spurs us again on to mercy. It's a beautiful circle. And in this way of praying this daily, which causes us to remember our sin, remember the forgiveness of Christ, and how that ought to overflow in our lives, this ongoing uh, relationship with this petition, in this way, the character of Christ himself is increasingly uh, formed in us. I hope you've uh, learned a little bit about uh, this fifth petition of the, of the Lord's Prayer and that as you pray this prayer daily, you'll have a better understanding of it, and you can pray this petition with ever more integrity. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the promise, really, of this petition, that you would not lead us to pray and ask for you to forgive us our sins if you had not made a way for it to be done so. And um, thank you for Christ, who, who is our mediator, and in whom we can have the forgiveness of our sins. Not just, not just past, but, but present and future as well. I pray that you would help that overflow in us in mercy and love and, and, um, and, and forgiveness toward other people. Jesus himself said, He who is forgiven much loves much. He who is forgiven little loves little. And I pray that we would know the, the depths to which we are forgiven of our sins in Christ. And that would overflow in genuine ongoing um, mercy and love and forgiveness toward each other when we are sinned against. For the glory of, of Christ, I pray. Amen.